Hi, and welcome to Food at the Table, the small group podcast with Rev and Kev. Y'all, we're back to our Bible study for another week. John mm. chapter 9. We are keeping it moving. Keeping it back up. It's actually our first Bible study of the year. Like, this is the it first is. time we've done the Bible it study is. part. And we can finally move past John chapter 8, which was just so much to unpack. There was a lot. We spent, what, like a couple months in there? I think like six or seven episodes, like breaking it down like bit by bit because there's just so much to unpack. Mm-hmm. So today, what are we doing? We're taking over an entire chapter. Knock it out. It's, to be fair, it's not a super long chapter. Now, just a heads up, there is going to be a decent bit of reading. It's like 41 um, verses. Yeah, which isn't too, too bad. No, we but... get it. It could be worse. It could oh, be yeah. the the begats in the beginning of Matthew. And he who begat, he who begat, he who begat, he... Three hours later. Who begat, he... It's one of my favorite parts of the study. Yeah, it's a lot of begats. Yeah. Lots of begats. Yeah, we're recording this podcast like really early, so like Kevin is like not in his. This, my brain has not kicked in yet, <laughs> but it's gonna be okay. We're gonna have a good Bible study. We always have good Jesus time together. Yeah, for Jesus. But as we kind of jump into this year, as we get ready for this Bible study, guys, we have so much stuff coming up this year. I mean, well, we already have our stickers out. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have T-shirt ideas out there mm-hmm. that we're still messing with. I mean, we're trying to get our social medias and stuff like that, like really full fledged going. Mm-hmm. So, really, guys, we need the involvement. Absolutely. And we we uh, really want to be uh, connected with you guys, and that's why we've uh, started up all these social medias and everything. Um, and, guys, don't forget, uh, we're uh, trying to start up uh, hashtag fat podcast. Hashtag fat podcast. Um, fat with two t's f-a-t-t podcast uh, in case it wasn't obvious that is food at the table podcast yeah um but guys use that uh on any social media um and we'll look it up and we'll see that uh and guys give us a uh follow uh on whatever sort of social medias um, if you're on Facebook or Instagram at food at the table podcast, if you're on Twitter, we're at food at the table. If you're on TikTok, uh, Wayne's up on there at rev.wayne. Um, and guys, we do have a Patreon set up now. Um, so if you want us to, if you want to support us in any way, uh, monetarily, um, you can go to patreon.com slash food at the table podcast and you will see uh, all of your different options there. And one thing that remember we're trying to do these different ministries and food at the mm-hmm. table. And one of the big things that we're really trying to do is this, like blessed waiters and waitresses while we're out mm-hmm. and our restaurants around town. I mean, we're trying to just be a part of the community mm-hmm. and any way we can bless these people who are actively like they're working hard to serve others Absolutely. so much. So we can bless them in any way. Hey, if you guys like to give to that, so go to Food at the Table podcast on Patreon. Check us out. Donate it and designate it. Hey, we want this to go to this kind mm. of thing. We'd love that, guys. It's really fun to be able to 
step up and do more and more with you guys mm. in this kind of ministry. So be a part of the community. Do as much as you can. Do the same thing. Hey, you have like a couple bucks in your pocket. It's extra. When you're at the restaurant, bless that waiter or waitress. Absolutely. Do whatever you can for them. Because honestly, they're working hard in a pandemic and mm. a moment where it is really scary to be in the food industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, these people could go work anywhere else. But that's where they can find a job. That's where the job showed up. Some people have dreams. This is just a step. Help bless them so they can make their dreams happen. Absolutely. So, guys, with that, we are so thankful to be back at our Bible study. You know, we talked about earlier, it's like we're in John chapter 9. We're going back through the chapters again. We're stepping on into the next one. Mm. And this chapter has so much packed into it. Absolutely. That's why we're covering this whole chapter. And we're going to try and... uh, Stay as on track as possible, just so that way we can uh, get all of our thoughts out uh, about this chapter. Because there is some phenomenal ideas in here. And one thing's for certain, you know, we say we're going to try. But y'all know what's better. (laughs) We know what's going to actually happen. But as we jump into uh, chapter 9... We're talking about the Jesus who heals the man born in, who was born blind, mm-hmm. and we kind of enter up into let's just go. You know, let's just jump in. Let's jump into the uh, study today. Uh, give me just a second. No, this uh, this chapter is pretty familiar. Uh, whenever it comes to uh, people being raised in church or whatever, this is one of those stories that pretty much everybody knows. Uh, at least the part of Jesus spitting on the dirt, making the mud, and slapping it on the dude's eyes, and he goes and washes it off, and he can see. Everybody's heard that. Um, well, churchgoers. Always I remember yeah, churchgoers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it's either this one they hear, or it's the uh, spitting on the fingers. Like that, what is it, Levatha? Or is when they open, to say to open when he did the one for the guy who was uh, deaf? Oh, I love that yeah. one. One of my favorites. Right? Um but this is this is fairly well known, uh, just because this is one of the crazy miracles that Jesus does. Um, but I want you guys to kind of take a second to think about it, like you're reading it for the first time, um, and really see kind of how God is at work. Um, so we will start at verse number one. That's the best place to start. Always at the beginning. Uh, And again, we're in John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must... uh, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And we're going to kind of talk about that for a second. uh, And then we'll keep going on. Well, when we first enter into this whole scene, we get this question that honestly I've heard quite a bit. Mm. Is uh, who sinned? Why is he sick? Who sinned? Mm-hmm. And you know they're blaming. Hey, did he sin? But he was born blind. So 
That means did he send at birth or did his parents send? They're trying to get this logic set in. Mm. You have to remember these are what wasn't Pharisees? No, these were the disciples asking. Yeah. So they're asking this legitimate question. This is not in jest. This is not in criticism. This is just something they've been brought up with. They're yeah. Trying to figure and out, I'm hey. I'm sure a lot of you people out there, uh, if you have grown up in church and you struggle with any sort of uh, mental health issues or any kind of disability, um, I'm sure you have been uh, somewhere where this kind of question has been brought up. Well, even take uh, take somebody who took who has cancer. I mean, this is always one of the first questions I get when I'm counseling people who are terminally mm. ill or have the sickness. What did I do wrong? Why did did I make God mad? What what did I do in my life that made him hate me? Why would he curse me like this? Mm. And it's always that initial jerk knee-jerk reaction. Or, you know, yeah, you say mental health. You know, you wouldn't be so depressed if you just believed in Jesus more. Yeah. We get that a lot. And it's this knee-jerk reaction because sin equals sickness. And, you know, we get this whole uh, concept of actually, you know, the wages of sin is death. So we get this, you know, as sin enters the world, so the death by it. And within that concept of death, we can add in the idea of sickness, mm-hmm. injury, illness. All things can pack into that because it's our fallen world, fallen humanity. So because of sin entering the world, yeah, sickness walks through it. But is it necessarily our personal sin that gives us these things? According to this this part of scripture, nope. Exactly. Just plain and simple. Yeah, because you know Jesus speaks up and goes, "Hey, you know, it's not necessarily your sin or your parents' sin, but sometimes things like this happen for the glory of God to be shown." Mm. And literally, what's going on here is, you know, it's not necessary. And I hate using that answer because I know it could be taken wrong. You know, you're sick because the glory of God can be shown through you. Well, what happens if you never recover? Mm-hmm. What happens if the well? How's God's glory shown through that? And if I had the answer for it, man, I'd be a very wise man. Don't have the answer for it. Absolutely. I don't think there's any way anybody can answer that for you. But I've seen so many lives blessed, so many people changed because sickness entered their family and it's changed. We have a lady in our church right now who has cancer. And it's one of the things I'm not going to say her name or anything like that. We've been praying for her. And it's one of those things that. Watching the life that they've had, they've just got to see the glory of God shown in their life so much because it was just blessing after blessing after blessing. In the roughest time, they got to see how big the support and how big God was over this illness. Mm-hmm. And the glory of God was just shown through it. And it's so amazing because when you talk to them, generally when I talk to somebody who has cancer, they have this moment where it's like, what was me? Look at this. Look at this. Oh, my gosh. My life is ruined. It's hard. Which it is. There's nothing against that. Oh, yeah. But these people are looking and going, no. Although, yeah, you know, there's some days that are rough. God's blessed us. They've given us doctors who are Christians who pray with us every time before we go in there. People who will show up with us and bless us with whatever they can. People who stepped up beyond, above and beyond the call of duty mm-hmm. to help us out. Until so we see God glorified in the midst of it. And we really see like the moment right here when God heals the blind man. Is so to the show to the disciples, and in a minute here, we'll talk about like the other people that came up to this guy mm-hmm. and saw something amazing happen. And they got to see the witness, they got to see this amazing thing, this miracle appear. 
sometimes sickness can be a gospel time. Absolutely. This this kind of um, puts into to perspective this guy's life. Uh, we we can get the idea uh, that kind of looking between the lines that the entire reason this guy was born blind was just so that Jesus could come and cure his blindness so that people would believe in Jesus. And it's true. Cause like reading behind the, between the lines, like I, I always say caution to the wind because like saying that one of the things that we get is like, Oh, okay. God gave us sickness. God's the one who caused this. And no, we have to remember, you know, what's the root of sickness? The sickness, yeah, the root, they were, the disciples were right. Sin is the root of sickness, and it's not necessarily personal sin. Yeah. Sickness into the world with uh, what we call the Adamic sin, which is the one Adam and Eve started in the Garden of Eden when the fall happened. Sickness into the world. But God has taken something that is broken, destroyed, and has used it as a way to show his glory to the people. Mm-hmm. Have himself glorified in the midst of it. But you're right. This boy, like born blind, out of sin, out of sickness. You know, there's actually a, a study out there. Like, there's this guy who was messing back and forth with this story a little bit. It's like, yeah, you probably have this like just degenerative disorder in his eye optical nerve that caused all this to happen. So he, not only what did he start off his world able to see a little light and watch it fade as a child, so to see that confusion. I was like, well, that's reading way too much into the story because mm. we have no medical knowledge of that. What's going on? <laughs> well, I mean, it says the kid was born blind, though. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, but it's like always these kind of fun things to add into it. And when we really like study the, the story, we have to be careful how much we add into the story. Absolutely, and that's that could be said about all of scripture. Oh yeah, just because if you are not interpreting things the right way you could come up with a totally wrong uh perspective of what god is and what god stands for oh yeah it'll tear you up a little bit too but when we look at the story like let's i want to kind of move past this ignition and show really that glory of god where it started up mm-hmm. because like we see in verse uh I think we stopped on verse 6 right there. But yeah. having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, that he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. So we see uh, Christ kind of stepping up to heal. And, he said, and I said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which meant sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. And came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? Wait a second. How could you be the guy? Why are your eyes open? He said, he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, then where is he? He said, I don't know. Because I have to ask you, like this one. Before I continue, oh, this always gets me. They asked the blind man, hey, where'd he go? I don't know. He was blind until he went to Siloam. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> the dude, not only was he still blind, but he also had mud over his eyes. Yeah. So if he could see, um, like, when the mud was applied or whatever, which we don't know if that's exactly no. the case, 
But if that was the case, he still had mud over his eyes, oh. so he wouldn't have been able to see anyway. <laughs> Where'd he go? I couldn't tell you. Didn't he see him. Is he? Don't even know what he looks like. <laughs> I mean, come on. Could be anybody. And so, like, was and then they said, "Where is he?" He said, "I don't know." They brought uh, him to the Pharisee. Uh, brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And we really kind of see this this moment when God's really being glorified. The miracles really starting to spread. More people mm-hmm. are asking. People at this point are uh, have become curious. Because let's be real. If you knew somebody who was blind or with some sort of ailment like that, born that way, been that way their whole life, and then all of a sudden you see them and they're not that way anymore, think of the guy at the pool of uh, Bethesda too. Yeah. Same kind of reactions. Just like, what in the world is happening? Seeing this guy walking around with his back. Mm -hmm. Like, wait a second, weren't you crippled? Yeah. And uh, that was that was enough for them to be curious. And we'll see later that really opens the door uh, for him to uh, talk about Jesus to these people. Well, because you know he's pointed automatically. They ask him, well, "Who did this to you?" Oh, it was Jesus. It was the Messiah. The guy came and healed me. What did he do? Oh, he took some mud and anointed my eyes. He started healing. He was explaining the miracle. He didn't get to see it. Mm-hmm. But he was there for it. He knew the he knew the name. He knew exactly who came to him. And like, you know this situation. I always like always laugh because Kevin, you and I both wear glasses. Yep, we wear glasses almost full time. The only time I don't wear glasses is when I'm in the bed, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. But when you're wearing your glasses and you take them off and you go around town for like it's like when people get contacts for the first time. No glasses. Oh yeah, you look absolutely weird. Like my wife, like I got contacts. I think our freshman year while we were dating and I had to put them in. I was walking around trying to get, get used to contacts. Mm. I can't use them. My whole eyes are too messed up. But we walked through. She looked at me. She's like, you look really different. That's how everybody said it. Like, you look really different. It's never you look good. It's like you look different. Mm-hmm. It's because the one part of our facial like extremities, the one accessory that we've kept on our face the whole time, no longer there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when you see this guy walking around, looking, walking, you're like, wait a second, that's new. And you have to remember how many people knew this beggar. Oh, yeah. Because when you're in this time, uh, for you guys on the podcast, one thing that we, we really find out in this time, when you are begging, you'd either be in the town square or you'd be at the, t- at the town gates, mm-hmm. wherever there's heavy flow of traffic. And, I mean, that's still kind of... Uh the same as today. Oh yeah. Uh, Cause I mean, if you see somebody who is uh, homeless or somebody who's lost their job or whatever situation they might be in, if they've got no other choice, but to beg for money, they're going to go to the place where the most people are. Mm-hmm. So that way they can get as much as they can. Oh, I mean, you down in the South, where's the one place they're going to be at? The Walmart. The Walmart, right there at the entrance, every time. Because they're technically not on Walmart property, so the can't get chewed off. Mm-hmm. But it's where everybody goes in town. You know, if you're in a big city, one of the places you'll find them is always near the town square where everybody's walking, where the big restaurants mm-hmm. are. They'll be right there next to it. Where the big banks are, the big businesses, you'll find them always sitting there. And it's because, one, they're going to get the most help. More people are going to see them. More people are going to feel bad yeah. for them. Guys, I'll be honest with you. There are people who make millions off begging. 
That's one thing I actually read. I have to tell you this. I don't know if you've ever seen this report. There's this, It's a story of a guy who is a beggar. That's what he does professionally. We'll go sit out business and look all shabby. Go home to his three-bedroom house. Drive his Ferrari somewhere else. Take his wife and kids out to nice restaurants. Next day, get up. Put on a really grubby clothes. Look a mess. Go sit down by the store. Begging for money. Because he's hitting these places where it's high traffic, big level businessmen, where all they have is $100 in their pockets. So they're going to drop 100 in your pocket. All right, in your cup. Routinely. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to see how much these people are making. But when we look at this guy, sorry, that's one of my like little fun little Just rabbit holes. Fun fact. <laughs> but when we look at this guy, definitely, you know, he's well known in the community. These people are seeing him. Yeah. They knew he was blind. He's like, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you how I'm not. I'd be happy to answer the questions. Or was it the situation of, why are you asking? I'm just happy to be seen right now. Can you imagine get your eyesight back? Like, get to the point where you don't have to wear glasses anymore. People are like, well, how'd your eyes get fixed? I'm more worried that I can see. Uh-huh. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> Come on. But, I mean, just think about that. Like, it still just baffles me. That this dude just got his eyesight back and was just hanging around. Like, let's let's picture that for a second. Dude was born blind. He's never seen anything. And all of a sudden, he can see color. Mm-hmm. Like, we've all seen those videos of, like... Uh, colorblind people or something like that getting those glasses uh, that have like the filtered weird lenses or whatever that help them see colors that they normally can't. Yeah. And always the reaction is always they're all just like astonished and they're just crying and freaking out. Let's think about that guy. This dude is blind. Hasn't seen anything. Well, it's like well, we always use the analogy in life. It's like when we see something so beautiful, and we try to tell you what it, like, it's like. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to describe a rainbow to a blind man. Yes. Try being a blind man who can now see a rainbow. Yes. Like that knee jerk reaction. Like, oh goodness, to see the glory of God. He's probably you know dazzled by everything around mm-hmm. him. Like, man, I've passed by here every day of my life. <laughs> and then you've got people coming up to him, and be like, "Wait, you can see now." You were supposed to be blind. Stop talking. I'm too busy looking at stuff. <laughs> what do you think you're doing? You're supposed to be blind and begging for money. Well, I can see. I'm going to go see stuff. Can you imagine? Uh, like This is something that, sorry, it just gripped me. Uh, seeing your parents' face for the first time. These people who cared for you your entire life. Finally get your eyes out and you like, just see their face. And you finally get to see the reaction. You get to see your own face. Yeah. Like he went to the pool to wash off or whatever. It looks that would have been the first thing. Oh, uh, sorry. Like my knee jerk reaction, like, oh god, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's like, oh, man, Jesus, you couldn't heal that. Okay, come on. <laughs> sorry. Oh man, that was funny. I tell you what. But this knee jerk reaction, this responses mm. and stuff like that, and then these people are naturally like, okay. We're confused, so we're going to go to our religious leaders. They're, yeah, they're trying to get to the bottom of that. They really want to know what's going on. I don't think it was any sort of ill intent that these people had. 
Um, but they went to who they thought would know what's going on, but those weren't necessarily the right people to go to. No, well, because when you grow up in a place where, uh, well, let's take it for example, our community today. Yeah. Uh, I have a pastor or I have like our t- community teachers. Mm-hmm. I need to understand information. So I'm going to the person who taught me information prior yeah. and say, hey, what's this? Like, you know, what we're doing right now. Try to understand a disease. Uh, our whole reaction is go to scientists who've studied and that's where we got our information from before. Mm-hmm. Try to see what they think. So, yeah, you're right. It wasn't ill intent. It was this moment of, hey, we need to just find out what's going yeah. on. So let's go to our teachers here. Let's see what they say. And so they went up to the Pharisees. And as it says this in verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was the Sabbath day. Now, this is important to Mark. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Mm-hmm. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I wash, and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath, but others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? So here's the Pharisees questioning the whole situation. Mm. They're trying to get to the bottom of it as well. Oh yeah, because they're, they're going to pull it apart as much as possible, because they're sitting here going, wait a second, the Sabbath is part of the commandments. Keep, make, keep the Sabbath and make it holy. Mm. I mean, you're supposed to hold on to that. But how, this man's a sinner, so how is he, this is not keeping the Sabbath, so he can't do miracles. But how can he be a sinner and do miracles? So they're questioning that they're Pulling it apart. It says verse 17. So they asked, said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he opened your eyes. So they're like, Okay, wait a second. We're confused. What do you think, guy who had miracle done upon him? Yep. And the guy said, He has to be a prophet. He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents out of. So we go into this whole kind of spiral down, like, Wait a second. He can't be of God because he's sinned. But how can a sinner do miracles? Well, what do you think he is? Well, he has to be a prophet. Well, we just don't believe you. Let us go get your parents to make sure you were actually blind. Yeah. So it's this questioning. It's this hardcore question. Because they're trying to pull apart everything. And we see Mm. this battle often between Jesus and the Sabbath. He's trying to make a purpose here. He's trying to make a point here. Because has the Sabbath become an idol? What does it mean to keep the Sabbath and make it holy? You know, all these rules that were written down were written by man on how we're supposed to do these different worships. So how are we supposed to do here? Jesus always said, you know, how would you, uh, would you not go home if your donkey was stuck in a ditch and pull him out mm-hmm. on the Sabbath or would you leave him there to die? Well, I've come here to help heal people on the Sabbath because I'm not going to leave my people lying in a ditch. Mm-hmm. I'm here to pull them out of it. And we see this repeating quite often in Scripture. There are multiple times whenever Jesus does some kind of miracle and it just so happens to be on the Sabbath and that's when everybody gets all up in arms because, or well, when the Pharisees get all up in arms because he did some wonderful thing that radically changed and improved oh, yeah. someone's life but it was on the sabbath so like, how it's dare not you okay. yeah how dare how, you how dare you do good things like, come on this is the lord's day how dare you kill people in the name of the lord Wait, yeah 
Timeout. And honestly, it seems to be like the only only real battle the Pharisees can hold against Jesus mm-hmm. is because he does these things on the Sabbath. And he always looks at him and goes, but was it that I said? I've kept the Sabbath holy. I'm still healing people in the name of the Lord. I'm teaching the name of the Lord. I'm doing what you're doing on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. But it's the only thing they really can get to stick to him besides the end when they finally say that Jesus claims that he is God. Which yeah. he never really does. Everybody else claims he is. He's like, I am who you say I am. He says it without really saying it. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. Like, okay, I'm going to look at you and say, okay, you're Kevin. You're like, well, I guess I am who you say I am. Mm. It's kind of that moment, like, your parents name you? Is that really your name? We don't know, but you're just who are who you are when they say you are. I know existential I'm crisis. To, yeah, that was... <laughs> that was deep. Hold on. Wrong podcast. Wrong one. We'll do that for Ask a Pastor. We're just going to walk away from this podcast giving everybody existential crises. Be like, oh, hey, look. Haha. This is why we don't listen to them anymore. <laughs> they gave us paradoxes. We, what is this? Can God create a stone that he can't lift? All right. Enough of that bit. <laughs> um, but I, I totally forgot what you were even saying earlier. <laughs> My can't. brain just totally <laughs> went down the rabbit hole. But it's, it's like constant looking at this. They're trying to find out more and more about this guy as much as they possibly can here. Yeah. And so they go off into the next stage. They go ahead and grab mom and dad. And there's there's kind of a difference with what the Pharisees were doing, uh, trying to gather the information, and what uh, all these random people were doing. Oh. All the people, they were... Uh, Going with a mindset of curiosity. They wanted the answer. They uh, were just trying to figure out uh, how could this happen. The Pharisees were kind of hostile about it. It was very much of a witch hunt. Yes. They're trying to find any way to really accuse Christ here. Mm-hmm. And just tell you that this miracle never really happened. This guy had to be born, had to be born seen, mm-hmm. and just begged his entire life. You know, they had they were looking for anything because if they could prove that Jesus was of God, if he was the Messiah, their entire world crumbles. Yeah. So of course they're going to go out here and try to disprove Jesus being anything of God. Mm-hmm. And and keep in mind the Pharisees, um, not only would Jesus have kind of dissolved the religion that they've been practicing their whole life. And I I say religion uh, with the idea of it being the their practices. Yeah. Um, and then upkeeping the law and all this. All the effort that they put into all of that um, would be totally uh, shifted. Hmm. And not just their religion, but their whole lives were backed up by their religion. They they spent their whole lives following this one thing, and it gave them power. It gave them influence. It gave them riches. Oh yeah, and so. Just think about if this guy is right, and if this guy is uh, the Messiah and is able to do all these miracles, 
everything that I have worked for and everything that I currently have is now at risk of being worthless. Oh, we have a term that's popped up a lot in the new, in the new age Christian realm. It's called the word uh, the word deconstructing your faith. It's like constantly deconstructing. Yes. Which deconstructing is not a bad thing, which is something that we really need to realize because a lot of churches are becoming more and more like a Pharisee. I deconstructed my faith and rebuilt it because there's a lot of things that we were taught young that we come to realize is not biblical. So we fix that. We don't no longer believe that ideology, that theology, that, that doctrine, because we've come to a new faith and belief that through the word of God, we've been raised new. Right now, the Pharisees are coming to a crisis of faith that would have uh, would have required them to deconstruct their faith. Yes. And so, like, you see a lot of conservative Christians now, and I sit among the conservative Christian realm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I am a Southern Baptist pastor. But within that kind of conservative realm, especially within the Pharisees, deconstructing their faith, you're right, loses power, loses influence, loses everything. But it changes who they were looking for. Absolutely. Because these Pharisees at the time, when they had gone through the hundreds of years of silence, because after God had quit in the Old Testament to where he picks up in the New Testament. Mm. Hundreds of years. There's a gap there. And it's called, we call it the years of silence, the years of darkness. Mm. And it was this moment where God really kind of shows back up on the scene. The Pharisees took advantage of that years of silence and became the mouthpieces by preaching the Torah as much as they possibly could. They were the mouthpiece of God. There was no other prophet. John the Baptist shows up, starts prophesying. Hold on now. There's John the Baptist. So they start targeting him very heavily, including bringing King Herod involved, bringing all these other people involved, to try to kill John the Baptist. Which they eventually do. Which they do. They behead him. Which I think uh, we might cover that story one day. Or have we? I can't remember if we have or not. But uh, when you come out of John the Baptist, now you have Jesus. He's doing the same thing, but he's doing better. He's doing miracles. He's going above and beyond. He's showing himself to be God incarnate. Now we have an issue because that's not the Messiah. I was looking for the lion to come and take over Rome. And here we mm-hmm. have a lamb who has come to slaughter. We don't have a lion taking over Rome. We have a lamb coming over and rebuilding the temple. Mm-hmm. And so it's throwing the Pharisees through a loop here because this is not who they're supposed to be. He's a sinner. He has to be a sinner. He can't be a fan. I always laugh when people say, hey, he's a sinner. When... They themselves are sinners, but hold mm. them right as quote-unquote rabbi, the mm. teacher. They keep looking at themselves as this perfect being, so they can judge what's right or wrong. But they can't. They always had this mentality of holier than thou. you know. Oh, yeah. And it really kind of kills off the whole... It kills the vibe, man. But it really kind of pushes this whole drive here that the Pharisees are trying their best to prove them wrong, to the point that we find, like, in the next couple of verses here, uh, verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes and ask him, uh, who opened his eyes, ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. So they're trying to point out, hey, he's a man, but it's really... We're aiming at the Pharisees right now. I think this goes perfectly into this next point and that we have. I want to hit this Go next ahead. verse, too. Uh, the very next verse, verse 22, 
kind of explains why his parents responded that way. Yeah. And it says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So here we see this: these Pharisees doing everything they possibly can to prove that this is not the Messiah, even to the point of punishing their people for saying this has to be the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So they were more or less ruling by fear. Oh, yeah. And that's not how the temple is supposed to work. It's not how Christianity or uh, at the time Judaism was supposed to work at all. Mm. It's a faith. It's a faith of love. I mean, the whole concept of our salvation is an act of love here. Yeah. I mean, even the sacrifices. What the whole concept of the sacrifice started with Adam and Eve when God had to sacrifice the animals mm-hmm. to make clothes for him. It's it was an I've, act of compassion. Yeah. Yeah. I've said it before. Um, but I'm going to say it a little bit differently this time. Uh, our faith is not, uh, oh, I'm afraid of going to hell, so I'm going to uh, trust in Jesus so that way I can go to heaven. Yeah. It, should, it shouldn't be a, I am running away from this in this direction. It should be a, I am running in this direction because I long for being uh, with God. Yeah. Like, salvation from hell is a byproduct instead of a reasoning. Yes. And it strikes me so hard because we really see this throughout the church today. Mm. Like, throughout church history in general, this uh, religious leader, the corruption within the religious leaders. Mm. Because it becomes more about me. It becomes more about what I want. And you write earlier, the Pharisees were getting wealth and power and influence from their position. And so here they are trying their best to hold on to that. By punishing people, so acting out in fear, or having people fear them in this way, because if they are to proclaim, if they really saw the Messiah, truly believed in them, they cannot believe in it because they will be banished from the synagogue. Mm-hmm. Meaning their sacrifices will not be taken. That is a condemnation to hell, according to the Jewish belief. That is um, kind of the equivalent of. Uh, our concepts of a tyrant ruling with an iron fist. Definitely. Uh, no one is going to speak out against something. Think of like Adolf Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> no one is going to, there is not going to be uh, a German just on a whim say, no, Hitler's wrong. Because as soon as they do, there they go into whatever kind of torture mechanism that the Nazis had. Yeah. Well, I mean, it reminds me a lot of like Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. Because like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but for you guys that don't know, he was Lutheran pastor in the midst of World War II, working in the German world when uh, Adolf Hitler really became, started coming into power. Adolf's first move was to go into the Lutheran church and change the doctrine to make himself really more like the Messiah. He was supposed to be the chosen one. He was supposed to be this religious hero to show up on the scene. So he was making the churches preach that. Well, there was a uprising within the Lutheran Church and the Christian Church throughout uh, Germany that really stood up against Adolf. Well, the first thing that happened was they got taken to the concentration camps. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just gypsies and Jews that were taking concentration camps. There's Christians alongside of them as well because they stood up against false belief, false doctrines. Diedrich saw this happening. Bonhoeffer escaped to uh, America during this time saw that his people were being 
uh, prejudiced, destroyed at the time. So he decided he was going to go back to Germany, start up a radio station that spoke out against Hitler, preached heavily against Hitler, and all these big things and how the concentration camps, all this destruction was destroying people. He left the safety mm-hmm. of the American continent, of the, yeah, the North American continent, to go over back into the center of the war mm-hmm. to preach against the tyrant leader. That very rarely happens. Because when you have somebody who can beat you down so much, it's where we get these cults, these beliefs that come out. These people are beaten down so much, they are reliant on these people. These people were beaten down by the Pharisees so much that they were reliant on their teachings. Mm -hmm. So much on a religious level that the Pharisees had to do their sacrifices for them. So they can't go up against the Pharisees because then they are destined to hell because they will never have their sins paid for. It was literally not just a death sentence, but it was a death for eternity yeah, it's sentence. This eternal damnation that we hear, this constant. And guys, like, that was one thing that we always, yeah, salvation is not to escape hell. Salvation is to pursue and love after Christ. Mm-hmm. But when we picture this place of hell, everybody thinks the flames and all this stuff, that's like the hard part. The thing is, uh, the Jewish people didn't have a depiction of hell like we do. Mm-hmm. They have this thing called Sheol, which is the place of the dead, where it was just separation. It was just loneliness. And that is the real. Uh, what's the word? Uh, idea, I guess. Kind of behind what hell is. Yeah. It's not. I mean, yeah, fire and everything. But the really hard part is you are completely separated from God. And one thing, like, to kind of push that a little bit more, like, what is that separation? We have to think of things that are of God, hope, peace, joy, love, comfort, all these things that we hold dear, things that we look forward to. Have those completely removed from your life, and there's no hope that they can come back. There is no hope, there is no peace, there is no joy, there is no love in your life, there is no comfort. That is separation from God. That's why it's eternal punishment, because everything that keeps us going was taken away. And the thing is, that's for eternity, not for temporary. Mm -hmm. And so, this is the punishment that his parents were looking at. Was, hey, you're going to be, that's a death sentence. That's an eternal death sentence. So, He's of age. Let him answer the question. Which really kind of gets me here. Because his parents are not trying to protect him. They had a blind son, but they're not trying to protect him. They're like, he can answer the question. He's of age. Let him take the punishment, not us. Mm -hmm. Which is opposite (laughs) anything we see within Christ. And it's never, hey, he's of age. He can take punishment. Christ said very much the opposite. Hey, he's of age, but I'll take the punishment. Yeah. He deserves it, but I'll take it. That's that's the whole reason Jesus died on the cross. Oh, it was to take every part of it. Mm-hmm. And so like this, to kind of go back to this like, corruption of religious leaders, this is something I really want to warn you guys about. There's a lot of people out here right now, and like you guys will see these big Christians, uh, Christian pastors be put on blast quite often. Because mm-hmm. like we'll have things like uh, the Bethel Church, who has become more of a cult than the are Christian. You'll have uh, people like the pastors like Stephen Furtick, uh, Joel Olstein, who barely we can call Christian, all these different people that are 
put on blast, but if you go back to where they were, back before they got big, back before they had influence and power, they're following after Christ. It, absolutely. There's in almost every uh, kind of professor of some sort of false doctrine, at some point, most of them had sound, solid, biblical beliefs. But then whenever they started getting their uh, followers or whatever, and uh, they started getting the money, they started getting the fame and all everything that goes with that, it goes to their heads. And I don't think they intentionally do it necessarily, but at some point or another, their doctrine changes to their advantage. I was talking with some people earlier today. It seems like it goes from, hey, we're talking about the Messiah to, hey, I am the Messiah. Like my favorite example, this like the religious leaders going corrupt. Take Jim Jones, for example. Mm-hmm. Jonestown, the mass suicide that we see. It's probably one of the, don't drink the Kool-Aid, the whole concept. Jim Jones started out preaching the gospel. He was good at it. He was charismatic about it. But he realized how good he was. And he was tempted by the power. He was tempted by his influence. Everything, like His following grew so much that it was no longer him saying, hey, we need to pursue after God. It was, hey, we need to pursue to become gods. Hey, not just that. Hey, I am God. You need to pursue after me. And it twists into this mm. morph. And this is what happens when... I'm not saying every religious leader is like this because then we have people like Billy Graham. Yeah. Who's pursued after the Messiah so hard for the all the way to the dying day? Mm. He was pursued after the gospel. And you know, right now, look at Franklin Graham, who, Graham, who's doing the same thing, pursued after the gospel all the way up to the dying day. He started uh, continuing his father's ministries as much as possible. So Billy Graham's legacy was huge mm-hmm. till the very end. But it was never about Billy Graham. One of my favorite stories about Billy was like he was walking onto the elevator. Right. He was on the elevator riding up to his floor. A woman stepped on. He stepped off because it was just him and her. He was like, she can ride the elevator. I'll take the stairs. He got up to the... He walked all the way up, got up there, found his entourage outside his uh, room. Mm-hmm. And he sent one of the women in his entourage into the room first. He said, hey, make sure there's no... Uh, there's no housekeeping, nobody else, no females in that room. And she come walking out and say, okay. He's like, okay, you can go home. Him and the guys went inside. Everybody thought it was like really sexist, really, like he was anti-woman. But the reality was he was trying his best to protect his ministry, protecting the ministry God had given him. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't want anybody ever to accuse me of misconduct in that way because in that time, all these other big pastors were being bought, uh, being found with prostitutes and things like that in their hotel rooms and things mm-hmm. like that. Their ministry got so big, they got so big-headed, they thought they could get, with a, get away with everything. Billy Graham knew it was too important. Yep. So that's where you really kind of find this contrast between corruption within religious leaders and you find good religious leaders. Make sure which one you guys are following, guys. Because mm-hmm. corruption can lead you guys on a one-way ticket to places I wouldn't want to go. But good leaders lead you straight to the cross. Mm-hmm. There is my preaching segment for the day. There you go. i tell you what. Sorry, guys. I do have the name Rev for a reason. So, uh, <laughs> but to kind of move on to this next step, because we really see the Pharisees kind of pick up this 
attack towards the sky a little bit more. Because like this next verse that we read, so after uh, we see his parents said those things because they feared the Jews, you know, they didn't want to be uh, cast out of the temple. Mm. It says verse 23, Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So tell us that God saved you. Because this man has to be a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that, uh, the, know that though I was blind, now I see. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. And I said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? So this man, like guys, like the audacity of this man right now. Because he's looking at him and going, I've already told you once, and now you don't want to hear it again? Mm. What, do you want to become his disciples too? I mean, come on. Because you got to remember, this guy was healed with his disciple, with Christ's disciples around him. So mm. you go, oh, are you going to follow him now? Guys, the sass. I tell you what, mm. I love finding sassy people in Scripture. It really makes me happy. I, I also kind of wonder, though, how old this guy was. Because if... Cause, I don't remember exactly what all of the like the point in time the Jews thought somebody was a man. Um, well, it's the bar mitzvah or the bar mitzvah. Yeah, these people who are of age. So generally, you see them around teenage, about thirteen. So let's let's think that this guy is close to thirteen or something like that, or probably a few years after or something. Let's just. Yeah. Think about it that way. We don't know. Oh, yeah. But this could seem like a legitimate response a kid that age would give somebody. Almost like, oh, you guys are asking me all the same things. I don't get why you're uh, asking me again when I already told you and you didn't listen then. Um, have you, like, changed your mind and now you want to, like, follow him? Like, I mean, I'm down if you're down. I'll show you where he goes. I'll tell yeah. you what. We'll go find them together. But there's there are so many different little um, ideas that we could get about get out of this, kind of looking at it from different angles. And part of it, yeah, this could be an older guy just absolutely being sassy. But I also think that there's a chance that this could be a kid. And like him, well, what we think of as a kid. Um, but it could, uh, be him just being straight up. Um, and I think it's hilarious either way you look at it with the way that, um, that the Pharisees respond to it because in, uh, verse 28, they pick up and say, and they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. So there, even then, we see the Pharisees don't really have the story straight. Because, yeah, I'm sure this guy was like, I want to I wanna follow this guy. I want to oh. learn from him. Um, and, hey, if they want to join me, come on. Yeah, let's go. Um, but they are, the Pharisees are, absolutely just appalled 
that the dude could even have the idea. Um, and in verse 29, uh, the Pharisees are continuing. Um, and it says, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And they cast him out. See, that's... Ah, sorry. You were born out of their sin, but you're going to teach me? Which, again, we covered this at the beginning. Yeah. Jesus clearly said that this, it wasn't necessarily that way, but he was born blind so that way God could be glorified. It's really kind of countering the, the view of the Pharisees at the moment, too, because they didn't believe everybody was born into sin. Mm. If your parents sacrificed before you were born, you were fine. But according to the Hebrew tradition, sin was passed down from father to child over and over again. Mm. It was the damn sin that followed through the line of Adam. Sin will follow through that. And so they're sitting here calling this man, you were born in utter, utter sin, so you are a sinful man because it was evident in your blindness. Pharisee, you were born in utter, utter sin. Your your mm. scripture says you were. Why are you like chastising this man? Mm. It just drives me insane. <laughs> Cause ah, uh, sorry, there's my whole soapbox for a minute. Cause no. like, dude, <laughs> get your stuff together. I mean, you're right, and this is an issue that we have with the Pharisees all the time. Um, and you know, they even point out uh, they go to Moses. They say, we are followers of Moses, um, which I mean, that in its first place is kind of like, why would you not say we follow God? But we'll we'll get to that. Oh, I get, yeah, I get um, but uh, that is that is their first reaction. And they're responding in a way that we know Moses. We don't know him. So you have to be wrong. Yeah. And it was almost like their uh, intolerance blinded them oh, yeah. from seeing what was right in front of their face. Uh-huh. It was this like, we have to be right. You always yes. meet these kind of people like when, when they have to be right in their own lives. It doesn't matter what else you say. It doesn't matter what else you bring to the table. They have to be the ones who are right. Mm-hmm. And that kind of stuff damages so many people because you can be wrong. It's a hard fact of reality. I can be wrong. Guys, we're doing a podcast. There's plenty of times that mm. we're going to be wrong throughout the, the life of this podcast. And if we are, reach out and tell us. We'd love to be able to talk with you and go back and forth with you. Mm. But the belligerence of that absolutely destroys you. And really, this is where we kind of find this battle between Moses and Jesus. And the reason why they said they're followers of Moses is because Moses is the one who wrote the law. 
He was the one who wrote the Torah. It was given to him from God. So he gave it to the people. Yeah, sorry, this is like good stuff. But uh, when they're looking at it, they're kind of thinking about themselves in this way of, hey, yeah, we follow the law. We follow this. We're, we're on it to the teeth. We don't know who this person is. But if you want to be his disciple, you know what? Bye. Mm. Because here's a man, you guys got to realize, this blind man, I also want to know the punishment of them being cast out of the temple if they stood up against it. Mm-hmm. His parents knew the punishment that if they would have said Christ was the Messiah, they were going to be cast out of the temple. So it was well known. And here's this boy is utterly convinced, utterly convinced that he stood up to the Pharisees. I don't know if I would even say that at this point. I mean, I think, yes, he is leaning that direction. But I do think he's still, at this point, trying to figure some stuff out. He's still trying to make it click in his head a little bit. I would agree, but he was so, let's say it this way, he was so convinced that the Pharisees were wrong. Yes, 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 absolutely. That uh, he was willing to risk, because we go back to this idea that he was risking his eternal life. Mm. To be right here. And he knew if he got cast out of the temple, it was over. It was done with. Mm. Well, couldn't he go to another temple? No, the Pharisees were so well bureaucratic that if you got cast out of a temple, you all the temples would know. But he was so all in with Jesus. He he was so all in with the man that gave his sight to him. Not back to him, to him, because he yeah. was born without it. That he knew, I, I am going all in with Jesus because these guys haven't done anything, anything like that. And not only these guys, but no one else in history has ever healed someone from being blind. Well, you also think that this guy, you know, has grown up probably going to the healers, probably going to the Pharisees to look for healing. Oh, yeah. And it's always been, I'm going to them. They're not coming. To, I'm going to them begging for mm-hmm. my eyesight. At the beginning of this, we hear Jesus, he passed by and he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked Rabbi, who is this? He was passing by. And his instant reaction was, that boy needs to be healed. He oh, knew hey, where look he at was. That. Yeah, like, I knew you were here. I've been looking for him. Watch this healing it's a very similar situation to the man at the pool of Bethesda. oh yeah i mean like there he is the one who's been here the longest mm-hmm. that's the one i'm here for there he is the one who's been blind from birth that's the one i'm here for that gets me like just it it strikes me because these guys have been going to places for healing had been striving and searching for these people to take away their ailment. Think about this guy's parents. Like, in this day and age, if you were born blind, what good are you to the society? It was practically a death sentence. Exactly. And so they probably would have exhausted all of their options trying to find something all he could do with his life was beg Mm -hmm. that's all he was known to be was a beggar 
but Jesus saw so much more. Because you have to think, like, when we go back to the beginning of the story to where we are now, so far, this guy has told so many people about Christ. And this has probably been the span of maybe a couple hours. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, think about it. He's he's going out. Everybody's like, well, wait, what in the world? That guy can see now. Yeah. Uh, and then they take him to the Pharisees or whatever, and they're like, wait, we have to get to the bottom of this. They go talk to his parents, and then they're like, well, his parents said this. Let's go back and get him. And they talk to him, and boom, he's kicked out. And then we find him sitting on the curb. That doesn't take very long time. No. But how many people has he told? Every Tons. person in the village saw him. And the Pharisees, even his own mom and dad. Everybody who saw him, even. Not even people he talked to, but everyone who saw him knew that something was different. And you guys know, like, this is kind of reading a little bit into this too, but you have to remember, he was brought to the Pharisees. Probably brought to the temple. People would have been in the temple worshiping. Mm. So the expanse of the witness that this man has had for Christ is so immense. Mm. But here we find, like this like last step here, we find him sitting on the porch of the temple, just cast out. And it's just, ah, uh, wait, sorry. Verse 35, Jesus heard... Jesus had heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So Jesus heard this guy got cast out of the temple, and his first reaction is, I'm going to. You know what? It's because mm-hmm. Jesus is here for the outcasts. Come on now. Let's preach on it. Let's go. But he started walking up to him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man answered. He said, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Who is this guy you're saying? That I might believe him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, so guys, this is right outside the temple, because the Mm. Pharisees are still by him. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you are blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Woo! Jesus walked up to this man, saw that he was cast out by the people that was supposed to help him. Mm-hmm. And said, hey, do you believe in this other man? Do you want to find a savior? And the man was like, hey, if you could point me in his direction. Because you got to remember, this guy was looking for the Messiah, looking for the one who healed him, but he never saw the guy's face. Mm-hmm. So he said, if you point me in his direction. He still, I'm sure, sh- maybe he could have recognized Jesus' voice. I kind of doubt it because they just spoke that little bit. Oh, yeah. But maybe he could have heard that and been like, oh, this was the man that healed me. Um, But. I think he wouldn't have recognized Jesus. Well, no, because we see like the initial reaction. Do you want to believe in the Son of the Man? Well, if I if I recognize your voice, my reaction mm-hmm. would be like, "Yeah, I'm looking at him. Cool, sweet. I know who you're facing." It's this knee jerk reaction. Yeah, if you can point me in his direction, mm-hmm. if you know where he's at, I would love to go to him because he knew exactly who 
this guy was talking about. He knew it was Jesus. Yeah, send me to bring me to him. Let me see him. She's like, you've already seen him. You're looking right at him. Mm-hmm. The man was like, man, I believe. And Lord, it was, I believe. Boom. I mean, I said earlier, like I still think right before this, he, not necessarily on the fence, but he was still trying to process, trying to figure it all out, trying to wrap his head all around it. But then Jesus shows up and he says, you are it. <laughs> and he gives everything. Everything. Guys, this is just the one thing that really strikes me because Jesus starts to, he says, you know, I come here for judgment. For those who were blind, those who couldn't see, I made them see. Mm-hmm. And those who thought they could see were made blind. Those who could not see God were able to see him in person, incarnate. And those who said they were seeing God were blind to the Messiah. Mm. They're blind to God in their midst. And so the Pharisees kind of got mad. Well, well, do you think we're, do you say that we're blind? Said if you were blind, you would, you'd be without guilt. But since you said you can see, your guilt remains with you. Whenever they asked, are we also blind? I don't think that was them being like, uh, trying to asking it sincerely like hey are are we blind it was, a it was more of uh hostile intent behind it oh yeah because these guys knew that they would have known jesus they mm-hmm. would have recognized him so when he walked up because once again on the temple steps they're calling this man a sinner this guy's not of god this guy's the bad guy he walks up and goes hey do you believe in this other man I'll come to save the blind. Mm. Oh, well, are we blind? And it's always that kind of mocking, like children ask, swing. Ask the, the words. They're asking it um, already thinking that they know the answer. Oh, yeah. And it becomes true. And it drives me insane because for them, yeah, they're, they're blind to the Messiah to come. Yeah. And it was their downfall. But we find Christ here coming to the outcast. Coming to the one that nobody else wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is always my concept when we look at Christ. and It's something we see often. Christ was going to the ones that nobody else wanted to deal with. He was going to the blind man. He was going to the lame man. He was going to the prostitute. He was going to the tax collector. To the fighter. To the fisherman. Everyone he went to. These people had said they were downtrodden. These are people on the outside. He went to clean lepers, which were the ones that you never touched. He held them. You didn't even go near. No, they were seen so unclean that if you came within a range of them, and if they were coming, like you would draw a sword on a leper for getting too close to you. Mm. And Jesus literally looked at them and said, "No, that's that's who I'm here for. That's Mm. the one I came to save. That's the one I came to heal." And we find Jesus proving himself time and time again that he was here for the ones that. Nobody else wanted. Mm-hmm. He was here for the ones that man had turned aside. I mean, we always call him the stone that the builders rejected. Became the cornerstone, the foundation. Mm-hmm. Jesus was outcast. Jesus was downtrodden. He was just like us. But without sin. 
And it's amazing to see what God can do. Mm-hmm. But guys, as we kind of wrap up John chapter 9, it's really nice to be back into our Bible study. I really oh, yeah. love this. Like, where we can kind of go through these chapters together. There's so much to unpack. As we get ready to head off to John chapter 10, which is one of my favorite chapters of Scripture, I'm really excited. And guys, I want you to keep this one in mind as we go into John chapter 10. Yes. Because it is a continuation of this conversation. Yes. And that's something we have to remember. Like, read When you guys are reading along with us, you have to remember these transitions. Just because numbers are put there, these numbers were put in by man. Just mm. to help us keep order and keep track of where everything was. Yeah. That way, when I'm behind the pulpit, I can tell you to open up to the book of something, something, chapter something, something, verse something, something. And you know instantly where to go. Exactly. So you can step into the story with me. But these documents go together. These are gospel stories, letters, all put together. Mm-hmm. Read along with us. Get into the story with us. Guys, go ahead and read John chapter 10. Be ready for it. Because it's just going to be awesome to see what God does. That's a good shepherd passage. And guys, we are so blessed to be able to keep doing this with you guys. As we get ready to kind of close, we want to thank you guys so much for reaching out to us. So much of you guys have stepped up and started sending us more questions for the Ask a Pastor that is coming up in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Keep sending your questions. Hey, you got a hot take? Send your hot takes because we're really Absolutely. enjoying them. Guys, we want to be involved uh, with you guys. If you have some sort of idea, send it to us. We want to... We want to be able to interact with you guys in that kind of way. I mean, we're the big small group. If you're in a small group, uh, I'm sure you know that you have conversations about, hey, what do we want to talk about uh, for the next several weeks? What exactly are we wanting to go over uh, tonight? Do we want to keep going with what we normally do or do we want to do something else? That's a conversation that a lot of small groups have. Yeah. And we want to be able to uh, take have that type of conversation with you guys. Yeah, do the back and forth because honestly, guys, we're here not only just for mine and Kevin's benefit. You know, this was a Bible study event for us. Mm-hmm. But we're here to help you guys as well. Absolutely. So please jump in. Send any requests. Send anything. Hey, you know, I've really had these questions on this book. I'd love to go through a study. Let's do it together. You know, it might not be where we do a full book together every time. It might just be a couple of chapters out of the book. Yeah. It might be a couple of verses where we do a full verse study. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, you know, I heard this sermon by Billy Graham, and I'd love to talk more about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's jump in together. Let's let's do the sermons. Let's start talking more about it. Let's go in. Because, guys, it's going to be amazing what we can do mm-hmm. on a platform like this together. Absolutely. And uh, back to what you were just saying, if, if you guys have um, – some type of uh, media, whether that be like a, a video of somebody doing something or like a part out of a book that you've read or something like that, and um, you want us to have our input on it out there, send it to us. Let us know. Um, Guys, you can you can uh, send all your comments and everything to us uh, if you're on Facebook and Instagram at Food at the Table Podcast. If you're on Twitter at Food at the Table. Uh, if you're on TikTok, Wayne's got his uh, Q and A set up. Ref Wayne. Um, and if you want to send us an email, Food at the Table Podcast at Gmail We try our best to really stay on top of all of those 
so that way we can uh, be in the position to interact with you guys. Oh, yeah. You guys, anything you guys need. Hey, even prayer requests. Hey, like this is going on in my life. I really need some prayer. Mm-hmm. Reach out to us. Not only are we... You know, we don't have to pray on the podcast for you guys. We're going to add you guys to our personal prayer list. We're going to start praying for you guys personally. Absolutely. Let us be a part of your prayer life. Guys, keep us in your prayers. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in our lives too. Mm-hmm. So don't, please lift us up in that. But guys, we love the community that we're building. We love that, some, that you guys are starting to reach out. Absolutely. So please keep doing it. Hey, share the podcast with a friend. Absolutely. You know, if you're enjoying the podcast, bring other people to the small group. That's what you mm-hmm. do. The small group leader is not the one who brings the people. It's the people who come to the group. They bring a friend. Bring more friends and see what we can do. Mm -hmm. But, guys, until next time, we love you so much. Thank you guys so much for joining us today on Food at the Table, the small group podcast with Reverend Gav. Until next time, bye. Peace.